Please turn in the Holy Bible this morning to Romans, the eighth chapter. Romans, the eighth chapter, and I believe at least some of my comments will go right along with what Brother Luke has shared with us about taking a stand. The title of the message is Time to Take Inventory. Time to Take Inventory. And if you look to Romans, the eighth chapter, I want to begin with verse 18. This is a key verse in Romans, the eighth chapter, to understand the context and the teaching of this entire chapter. And by the way, it's right basically in the middle of the chapter. Romans 8 and 18. The Apostle Paul says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now, I've heard some of the southern preachers say, you know, Paul was just a good old southerner. He used the word reckon. (laughs) But there's a little more to it than that. The definition of the word reckon right there is to take inventory, to make a list, to inventory the goods and estate of a deceased person. It's very important that we understand that language. It's legal language, and I'm not just interested in it because I'm an attorney, okay? It's legal language, and Paul often used that type of language to take inventory of the goods and estate of a deceased person. Now, I've had a lot of experience in that through the years, probating estates and handling estates for people. And as a matter of fact, there was one instance I remember where two executors were appointed, co-executors. They were brothers, and they couldn't get along. I've always told my clients, never appoint co-executors. In this particular case, two co-personal representatives were appointed. They were brothers, and they couldn't get along. And the brother came and hired me as an attorney and basically said, look, there's all this stuff in this inventory that's been filed publicly. So, Brother Mild, I'm not getting up anything that's not public, you know. So there's all this stuff that's listed in the inventory, and, and specifically this incredibly large amount of cash that their father had on hand. He's like, I don't know where it is. I knew the guy, so I just called him up. I said, hey, man, what, what's the deal? Where's this cash? Where's this? It's a lot of cash, a lot of green dollars. He said, oh, I got it in my safe at home. I went immediately to the probate judge and I said, Judge, I need an emergency order because this guy's house could burn down today and all of that cash is gone. And so the judge issued an emergency order and all of that cash was brought to the court. Now we're like, what are we going to do with it now? Of course, they deposited it in the estate account. But that's just a little example of taking an inventory. And this is legal language right here. And I want you to notice that this is language that relates to death. Okay, look back in verse 10. It says, and if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. You understand that? That's, that's a, the Apostle Paul is not pulling that out of a hat or just jumping off of the ship or the train here. No, he is, he is pointedly telling us that this has to do with dead language, inheritance language. If Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Death and life is put before us. Now read on down to verse 12. He says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify or put to death the deeds of the flesh of the body, ye shall live. That's sort of a A dichotomy there. It's sort of a mystery there. He says, if you live to the flesh, you die. And if you die to the flesh, you live. And he's talking to children of God. You understand that? He's not saying, get out of being, you know, dead in sins and become. He's talking to those that have the Spirit of Christ in them. And child of God, if you live to the flesh in this life, you die. 
It kills you. It kills your witness. It kills the Spirit of God in you. I don't mean it dismisses the Spirit of God, but it quenches the Spirit of God in you. But if you die to the flesh, you live. See, this is legal inheritance type language. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, now watch the language, they are the sons of God. You catch that progression right there? We're getting into adoption language, which is legal terminology. He says you are sons and daughters of God if the Spirit of God dwells in you. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption. That's verse 15. Whereby we cry, Abba, or Abba, Father. Watch verse 16. The Spirit itself bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You see the progression? Inheritance, death, and it's talking about what you have inherited. You are an adopted child of God by being born again by the Spirit and the Lord adopts you into His family. Why did you have to be adopted? Because Adam, you come from Adam and Adam killed all of mankind. Dead to the Spirit of God. So the Spirit of God has to legally adopt you into the family. Now watch the language. Whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You see the language? And watch verse 17. And if children, then heirs. See, that word heirs right there means to share by lot. In other words, some people in their will will say, I'm leaving this particular piece of property to this child, another piece of property to another child. That's what that means right there. An heir in that sense will share a different lot. But brothers and sisters, it gets better as a child of God. Because you can see the problem that would cause when you get to heaven. <laughs> I mean, you can see a problem that might cause now. That's kind of like that reward mindset. You know, well, look at all that I've done for the Lord and look at all the rewards that He's given me and that He will give me. And you can see that in heaven where the Lord says, now look, you go over here and stay in this little shack you know, Brother Tim, you go stay in this little shack over here because that's about all you deserve to be here. And then we're going to put, you know, well, she absolutely would deserve it. Sister Tracy over here in this mansion, <laughs> she would absolutely deserve it in my mind. But you understand how many problems that would create in heaven. Well, why has so-and-so got a shack and why have I got, you know, uh, uh, you know I've got a mansion and so-and-so's you know, in a shack. That's what heir means right there. Now watch, it gets better for the child of God. We are not only heirs of God, but we are joint heirs with Christ. Now that's a whole different legal terminology right there. A joint heir is to be a participant in common. It's what we think about in Alabama today as one who has an undivided interest. So somebody maybe doesn't have a will, and they have five or six children, and they die without a will, and say they have 100 acres of land. Those children legally are joint heirs with undivided interest. That nobody can go out there and say, well, this 10 acres is mine or this 20 acres is mine. It's an undivided heirship interest. That's what God has done for you. And I know I'm giving you some legal examples here this morning, but I once represented a couple folks that were two of 156 heirs on 154 acres. <laughs> you talk about a mess, a tangled mess. I was so glad when we put that one to rest. That's a lot of people. And nobody can say, well, this 0.7 acres is mine. No, they couldn't do that because it's an undivided interest. Now, in our world today, that's a mess. In heaven, it's not a mess. You see, because the Lord has given you a joint inheritance, an undivided interest with the Son of God. What He has is what you have. 
And somebody might say, well, but there's that throne that you can't sit in. That's his throne. It is his throne. But if you read the book of Revelation, you'll see where he takes you up in. He'll take you up in his arms sitting in that throne with him. That's amazing, isn't it? (laughs) You're a joint heir. You see how he goes from describing the death scene and the inheritance that goes with that. And then he says, you are children. You are sons and daughters of God. You are heirs and you are joint heirs. And here's where we get to taking inventory of the inheritance that we have received through Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. I want you to understand, it doesn't mean that If I don't suffer with Christ for serving Christ, for taking a stand, if I don't suffer, then I'm not a child of God. That's not what that means. But it does give us an indication of a special experiential relationship with the Lord when we do those things. So do you want that? I do. I want to experience the most that I possibly can. And as Brother Will prayed this morning, in this dark, troublesome, tumultuous world. And this is the key right here. Take inventory. Okay? Now watch this. I don't want to be too technical with this, but I, I'm going to give you about three Greek words right here that, that's very, that are very hard to pronounce. But I want you to notice the commonality in these three words. It says, it says that we are joint heirs with Christ. If so be we suffer with Him, joint heirs with Him, And that we may be glorified together. Do you notice the unity language right there? Joint heirs means you're together. Suffering with Him means you're together. And then he says to be glorified together. And then we reach our text. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. So watch this. The word joint heir is the Greek word synkleronomos, which means a co-heir. To suffer with him is the Greek word that says soon pasco. Notice the common compound in there. Soon kleronomos, soon pasco. And then glorified together is the Greek word soon doxadzo. And the common word or compound that is in each of those Greek words is the word soon, which is a Greek word, and it denotes union. So do you get what he's saying there? I'm not saying you got to go away and learn Greek words. But I want to point out to you the significance of that language. So we are in undivided union with Christ. That's what joint heirs mean. And we are in undivided union with Christ when we suffer for serving Him. In a special way, that union is exhibited. And then it says, one day when the Lord comes back, we are in undivided union with Him in glory. If you miss that middle part, you're going to miss a blessing in this life. Don't miss that middle part. Take the inventory. Okay? Now I want you to think about this one other thought before we actually take the inventory here this morning. He says that you are with Him as an heir. If you suffer for serving Him, this is not talking about suffering for foolish decisions and things that we bring upon ourselves. That's the majority of the suffering that's out there in the world. This is a special category reserved for the child of God who will have the courage to take this inventory. Over the book of Revelation, 
If you notice, when he speaks to the seven churches, they were in great persecution in those days. You say, well, why did he single out those seven churches? There were other churches, but those seven churches were suffering more than any of the churches at that time. The people were being put in prison and put to death just for simply saying, I believe there is a king and his name is Jesus and his, and his name is not Caesar. You see? So that's why the Lord singled out those seven churches. And if you notice, there's a recurrence seven times, seven times with each church, you know, from the church of Smyrna to the church of Sardis and on down to Laodicea with each church, he says to him that overcometh. And that's our word that we know today is Nike. That's the word Nike. See, Nike didn't come up with Nike. The Greeks came up with Nike a long time ago. The Holy, Spirit, uh, the, the Holy Spirit hijacked the word Nike and uses it for His benefit. So the company can't have it. It's a trademark. It's a copyright infringement, you see. He says, to him that Nikes, to him that overcometh, these promises are to you. And he says, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. Do you understand what that's saying? He's telling them, if you will hearken to what this means and you will listen, then you are overcoming. You are Nike. You are overcoming and you're going to have a special experience when you're in the midst of suffering. Y'all remember last week we talked about Naomi? Everything Naomi suffered was because of bad decisions that she made. Have you ever heard of the three Hebrew children who were cast into the fire because they wouldn't bow, they wouldn't bend, and they wouldn't break? Those three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, experienced what I'm talking about here because you know what they did? They took inventory. They took inventory like we're about to do. And so when they went into the fire, they were suffering for serving their master. And you know what happened in the fire, right? They met and talked with the Son of God in the fire. And child of grace... That's not just reserved for the Old Testament saints and experience. I'm telling you, if you take inventory and you suffer for serving your Savior, then you will speak to your master in the fire in a special way. I'm not sitting here saying, well, he's going to show up in a literal fire and speak directly person one-on-one -on -one to you. But in your heart of hearts and in your faithful heart, as you look to him and you've taken the inventory that these things that happen to me here, the sufferings that I experience in this present time are not worthy to be compared to the inventory of glory that waits upon me. When you do that, guess what? You're speaking to your master in the fire. The seven churches at Revelation were told if you overcome, which could mean you die, often it meant that you died. But if you overcome, you're going to have a special experience here and now with your Savior. And by the way, on down in verse 35, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he begins to name these things. He says in verse 36, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Through Christ, through Him that loved us. That, the phrase there, more than conquerors, is hyper-Nike. So you want to be hyper-Nike, hyper-victorious? That's what this is talking about. Super-Nike. So listen, I can't, I can't relay these promises to the wicked of the world because it doesn't apply to them. But to those that have the Spirit of Christ dwelling in them by grace and by mercy, I can relay these promises to you. But that still does not guarantee you that you're going to experience that promise. It is to Him that overcometh. Y'all see that? It is to Him that will engage the inventory. Will take the inventory. 
It's not suffering for something you did, which I have often done in my life. It's not suffering for something I did to myself or brought upon myself, but it is taking a stand for serving the Lord. Now, let's take inventory. He said, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, I inventory, I account. It's also an accounting term for the accountants out there. For I reckon, I inventory, I account that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in me. As joint heirs in Christ, you can take inventory and you have a natural inventory in this world that comes to you for serving the Lord. A natural inventory. And then at the same time, In a separate ledger, you have a supernatural inventory that belongs to you here in this world. I hope that makes sense. So unlike me, whenever I take a case in and I do a probate and I have to do an inventory, you know, I'm listing all natural things. You understand that? It's all worldly things. So as a child of God, you do have a natural inventory that you can take if Christ dwells in your heart. But you also have a spiritual inventory. And let me ask you this. When things happen to people, and I'm not talking about things they bring on themselves, but when they suffer for serving God, if you don't take the second inventory, if you don't take the supernatural inventory, you can lose heart. And you might lose some hope. By the way, that's what the whole chapter is about. He says, for we are saved by hope. Now watch this. As joint heirs with Christ... Take inventory of your inheritance. Set them side by side as we are about to do and see the stark contrast that you have and the, the, inherit, the natural things that you will inherit here in this life for serving God, are, they pale in comparison to the spiritual things that you have inherited because of your inheritance in the Lord. And verse 35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who will destroy this union? No one can destroy this union. You see? So let's take... Let's take the natural inventory first. It's interesting how the Apostle Paul put the positive first. The positive inventory is found in verse 28, 29, and 30. But let's take the natural inventory, and then I'll lay the positive inventory, the spiritual inventory, down to you as we close. Look at what he says in verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? After we've taken the spiritual inventory, the supernatural inventory... If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us? And here he goes with the natural inventory of what you will inherit in this life for serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation... Tribulation is that, uh, that word I'm hammering down on the Greek words today. I'm sorry, but they're just on my mind. It's the Greek word flipsis, which comes from the root word of a billy goat, of a gnawing. That's what tribulation is in this life. It just won't leave you alone. They just keep gnawing at it. You see, they won't go away. Satan won't quit. So it's just like that old billy goat out there in the field that just will eat anything, chew up anything, A tin can, you know, if you lay down long enough, he'll probably eat you. (laughs) But it just won't quit. Philipsis means he just won't quit gnawing. That's tribulation. Can you identify with that? Or distress, or persecution, or famine, a scarcity of food. Makes me think of Lazarus the beggar who nobody would give any food to. Or nakedness, lack of clothing, peril, which means danger, sword, 
He says, for thy sake we are killed, verse 36, all the day long. By the way, side note, you want to go study something good? That is a reference to Psalm 44 in the Old Testament. And I'll give you a little hint. You can find another reference to Psalm 44 in Romans 8 chapter if you'll dig and you'll look. So you see how Paul is bringing that together? He's bringing together not just one element from Psalm 44 where it says, we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. That is a reference to sacrifice. You see that? The sheep were what you sacrificed whenever you went to, to go to the Lord and bring a sacrifice. So what you suffer in this way is nothing more than a sacrifice to the Lord. You see? He says, We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. None of these things, when you take this inventory of what you will inherit naturally in this world because you are a son or daughter of God who has decided to stand for the Lord, to follow the Lord, this inventory, this natural inventory, even though it hurts and even though it brings pressure and it makes you uncomfortable, it will never separate you from the love of Christ. You see that? So now take the spiritual inventory. How in the world can I face the... How could the Hebrew children face those things? How could Paul go to death like he did? How could Peter be crucified upside down? How could these things happen? It's because they also took the spiritual inventory. Verse 28. So take the inventory. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. You'll hear that verse quoted again and again and again at funerals and at other inopportune times trying to bring comfort to someone who's lost loved ones or some tragedy that's occurred, but they never go on and take the inventory. You see, those things that he's speaking about right there in verse 28, we lose the whole effect of those things if we don't know what those things are. And that's what we're doing right here is taking the spiritual inventory, the things that work together for your good when the other list of those 20 things, uh, 20 or so things work against you. You take the natural inventory and you say, this is bad and it hurts. Take the spiritual inventory and look at what God is doing for you so you can endure the hurt and serve Him anyway. For whom He did foreknow. That's the first thing on the list of the inventory. Child of grace, He foreknew you as an heir of grace, a future heir of grace before the foundation of the world. And He foreknew you. God knows all things. But this foreknowing is to know you in a special way. Very much akin to the way that a husband and wife would know one another in a covenant where they're together all of the time. They're interacting all of the time. Guess what? There's union there. Do you get that? What did we talk about earlier? It's union with Christ as a joint heir. Union with Christ when we suffer with Him. Union with Christ when we'll be glorified together one day. And remember, the list of things that are in the natural ledger are not worthy to be compared to the list of things that are in the supernatural inventory. You are foreknown, child of God. You are predestinated. Your destination has been set because you never could have set it. You never could have reached heaven if God had not set your destination. Why? Because you come from Adam. Remember? You had to be adopted into the family of God. 
For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called. And whom He called, them He also justified. And whom He justified, them He also glorified. And remember our verse 18. He says, For I reckon, I inventory, I account that the sufferings of this present time for serving with Christ, those sufferings are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in heaven? Yes, but where? In me, in us. Because you're in union with Jesus Christ. Will you take that inventory? I think it's an inventory that we need to take because we just don't really understand what it means, do we? Where he says, tribulation, persecution, suffering persecution for serving God, famine, starving, suffering for serving God, nakedness. You know, we're too caught up in little petty things, you know? And we're too blessed. We're, thank God we're blessed and there's no persecution here. We don't fully understand these things. There will be a generation that will understand these things before the Lord comes back. Could it be our generation? You see all that language about with, union, all of that? That's foxhole language. That means Christ will go with you into the suffering. Will we go into the suffering with one another? Look at this as we close. I want to share this with you. This is taken from the writings of two sources, Richard Hanula and Bruce Gore, both men who are strong historians. And this is how it goes as we close. During the cruel reign of James II, that's who followed James I, you know, the King James translation. James II followed James I. During the cruel reign of James II in what is known as the killing times, there were many bloody events. This is the story of two women who refused to bow the knee in spiritual matters. So if the foxhole language bothers you, sisters, this is the story of the two Margarets, as they are known. There were 63-year-old Margaret McLaughlin and 18-year-old Margaret Wilson, and Agnes Wilson, sister of Margaret, was 13 years old. They were Scottish covenanters who were executed by Scottish Episcopalians in 1685 in Wigtown, Scotland, and they are known as the Wigtown or Solway Martyrs. That's where they were from. They were not especially vocal. It was just commonly understood that they would not swear the oath of the king, and they met in meetings called conventicles. These meetings were outlawed, and they were found and arrested, and on April 13, 1685, the judge asked if they would swear the oath, acknowledging that the king was the head over the church. They would not recant, so the, king pronounced, the judge pronounced sentence for treason and, and meeting with the covenanters. The father of the Wilson girls, the two girls, 18 and 13, begged the court for leniency because they were teenage girls. The judge declared that he could take Agnes, the 13-year-old, home if the father would pay a huge fine and it bankrupted him to pay that fine, but he took her home, Agnes. The older Margaret, age 63, would be staked out. And by the way, they were, they were condemned to the tidal stakes, not to be burned at the stakes, but to the tidal stakes. So they would take them out into the water when the tide was out and, and strap them, tie them to a stake. And when the water comes back in, the ocean water comes back in, they drowned. That's the tidal stake. So Margaret, the older one, was taken about 100 yards out further than Margaret, the younger one. The younger Margaret would have to watch in agony as her mentor and sister in Christ was overcome by the tidal waters and drowned. As she watched her overcome, struggling for breath, the water had come to the younger Margaret's knees as the tide was coming in. The executioner used the death of her sister in Christ as an opportunity to persuade her to confess King James II as the head of the church. Seems like a very simple thing to do, doesn't it? And so deliver her from the watery grave. 
She had been given her psalter. And by the way, there was a crowd on the beach praying for her and calling out to her and encouraging her. And she had been given her psalter, which was like a songbook, hymn book from those days. And as the executioner pointed out to her that the waters were gathering quickly, and soon she would be as her sister in Christ, she began to sing from her psalter this selection from Psalm 25. My sins and faults of youth do thou, O Lord, forget. After thy mercy think on me, and for thy goodness great. God good and upright is the way he'll sinners show. The meek in judgment he will guide and make his path to know. Oh, do thou keep my soul, do thou deliver me, and let me never be ashamed because I trust in thee. The executioner besought her again to recant and swear the oath to the king as head of the church. He asked her if she did not want to avoid the horrible suffering that lay ahead of her. She replied that these sufferings are not her sufferings, but the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ in her. And then she quoted Romans 8 and 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. The executioner then said, Pray for the king, swear the oath, and I will let thee go. And she said, I pray for all men and women. She bowed her head and said, May God grant the king strength, wisdom, and forgiveness all of his days. The crowd on the shore began to shout, Release her! She has prayed the prayer. The executioner replied, Let the dog burn in hell. We do not want such prayers. Swear the oath. Swear to the king as head over all subjects of the church. And she replied as the waters rose, No, no. No sinful oath for me. I am one of Christ's children. Let me go to the water. At this point, the executioner said, have another drink. And he forced her face down into the water, which was now up to her neck. And she went into the arms of her Savior. 18 years old. Interestingly, at almost the same time that this precious soldier of the cross was sent by execution into the arms of her Savior, wicked King James II went to his final abode. He died. And he went to wherever that place may be for him. It was not simply luck that he died as the sweet, faithful Margaret entered into eternal life. You understand that's an example of what I'm talking about. That 18-year-old young woman looked at the ledger, looked at the inventory of the, what she would endure in this life, what her inheritance would be in this life, And she waited out and saw that the inheritance of being foreknown, being predestinated, being called, being justified, and being glorified was more weighty, was more important than confessing the name of a wicked king. So she continued to confess the name of Jesus. Child of God, will you take the inventory? Maybe you've been suffering for things you've done. As a child of God, filled with the grace of God, filled with the Spirit of God, it's time to suffer for things that come upon you for serving the Lord. Thankfully, it's not that severe right now. It might be somebody putting an ugly editorial in response to an article that you put in the paper. You know, that's not very severe. That's not a title stake. You understand that? So take the inventory. And I tell you this, that when you take this inventory and you see what you will experience in suffering for serving the Lord here and what your eternal inheritance is, then it will not shirk you back from taking a stand. And it will not lead you to go away from the saints of God or the church of God. It will just bring you closer in. Lord, teach me more. Help me to learn more about my inheritance.